And so I want to take you in a direction today about the truths of generosity. But I'm going to take you to Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel. It's not my gospel. My name's Mark. <laughs> feel bad saying that right now. But a guy called John Mark. All right, let's say that. And uh, he, he is uh, recording for us something profound in chapter 12. And let me read it to you. After teaching at the temple, Jesus was sitting, sitting across from the offering box. <laughs> Imagine if we put the offering box right there. <laughs> and I... And I just started watching everyone come down to put their offering in. That's kind of like what's happening here. He was watching and observing the crowd as they gave money into the collection. Many of the wealthy were making large contributions. But one poor widow came and she put in two small coins, a measly two cents. Jesus called his disciples over and he said, the truth is, that this poor widow gave more to the collection than all of the others put together. All the others gave what they'll never miss. They gave from their surplus. She gave extravagantly. She gave her all. You need to consider the words of Jesus because if you're a mathematician or if you're reasonably good with numbers, you kind of like go, huh? Wealthy people giving large amounts into the thing. And this woman gives two coins to find us two literal measy cents. God's having trouble with mathematics lately. If the accountant was there or the bookkeeper was there or the treasurer was there, if the secretary was there, they'll be going like, hang on, I think Jesus didn't do well in mathematics. But that's what I love about Jesus. He's not actually dealing with the surface. He's dealing with the internal. He's dealing with the heart. And He's always dealing with the heart. And so really, what is the essence of this message? What is actually Jesus trying to highlight for us? What can we learn ourselves in the 21st century from an ancient text? Jesus highlights the difference between the wealthy and someone who is desperate. And he puts his finger on something called extravagant generosity. He puts his finger on this thing that she gave her all. Is God advocating that all of us in the room today are going to go out and empty our bank accounts? Please, come on. You're all too smart to be like that. That's not what this is saying. And I don't advocate that whatsoever as a pastor or even with someone with just common sense. I think what he's highlighting here, and it's wrong to take it, I guess, just a part of the scripture when you've got other verses before this and after this. But what is Jesus dealing with? He's observing the wealthy giving out of their surplus and he's observing a widow. Now, the reference for us, widow, is she's got no husband. That's usually what you call a widow. And back in this day, basically, if you're a widow, you're in trouble. Why? Because your man was the one that was going to provide. There was a family. We don't know that she has a family. We just know that she gave everything that she had and it looked like it was all over for her. It was kind of a picture of like, God, if you don't turn up, I really am in trouble. It's kind of like looking at your two cents going, what can I do with that? And then looking at, okay, if I trust God, what could God do in my life? It's always realizing you've got more with Jesus. 
And I think what's highlighted here is this spirit that we still have in the 21st century. We're seeing a wealth divide like never before in the history of the world. And so we see extravagant generosity expressed in a very everyday situation that we can all connect with. But this woman was totally trusting God to provide. Is it wrong for us to be a generation that unashamedly, unapologetically say that we are absolutely, totally trusting God for His provision? Or are we going to boil it down to percentages and numbers? Well, I'm 80% trusting God, 20% trusting my grandma. I don't know if we play the game of numbers, maybe we could have percentages, but that's not what God is talking. He's putting His all in, all in, all in. So the wealthy were tending to trust their abundance, but the widow was totally trusting God. Which one would you rather be? This is not again anything saying God is against the wealthy because that's not really what is highlighted here. He's not for those who have and those who haven't. What he is advocating is at the end of the day, how's your heart in all of this? Maybe you are blessed and maybe you are a hard worker and maybe you are diligent and maybe things have opened up for you. Maybe you have seen increase in abundance, but at the end of the day, you know it can be gone in a moment. You know it can be taken in a second. You know that your security is not in how much is in your bank account. And I think God is advocating here not to be wealthy or not even to be poor. I think God is highlighting for us Are we ready to trust Him with everything? And I believe that's the tension we have in this moment. So I don't believe we're ever more generous if we're going to talk about extravagant generosity. I don't think we're ever more generous than when we're trusting Jesus. Think about that. When are you generous? I believe you're never more generous than when you're trusting Jesus. I think about it this way. When are you worshiping? I don't believe you're more more generous than when you're worshiping God because what are you going to do to worship God? You've got to let go of the fears. You've got to let go of the doubts. You've got to let go of the opinions. You've got to let go of so much to worship God with all your heart, with all your soul. Well, no one's ever really done that. Only Jesus Himself worshiped God with all His heart, with all His might, with all His things. I think a lot of us give our best, but what I'm trying to say is that to worship God is a very generous thing. I believe we're never more generous than we're forgiving. Forgiving is expressing generosity. And I believe when we love unconditionally, we are expressing generosity. When we're worshiping, when we're trusting, when we're forgiving, and when we're loving. Anyone want to be a part of that generation? A generation that knows how to love, a generation that knows how to forgive, a generation that knows how to worship God. Amen. I just believe that generosity could do much more for us. But let me take you towards what God says about generosity. What does it mean to be big hearted? To be big spirited? Yes, the word also taken from to be noble. But we're not talking about nobility in terms of a status in society, a nobleman and and a peasant, where often it was used in the 18th, 17th, 19th century. It's actually a reference to nobility. It's about being better, not better than anyone else, but it's choosing the better road, choosing the higher plane, choosing to be here and not here. And so really, what is generosity? If we could really consider this today, it means it means to believe the best. It means to see the best. 
It means to give the best. Imagine being a generation that believes the best, that sees the best, that gives the best. I believe that's exactly what God has done for us. He's believed the best, He sees the best, and He has given His best. That's why you and I can choose generosity. Can anyone say amen? The greatest act of generosity was our Heavenly Father giving us Jesus on the cross. He gave His best. And I believe it's always going to be our reference point. Imagine working for someone who believes the best, sees the best, gives the best. Imagine being in a home where, I know it's not the reality, but we've got to understand realities can change. What is not cool can be changed into what is much, much better. And I believe because of Jesus, we can always enjoy more. So this is what I wanted to share with you is, there's a word that most of us would be familiar with. It's uh, philanthropy. And often we have reference to, and one that stands out is Bill Gates. And one of the most uh, very generous families when it comes to philanthropy and charitable work and really working diligently on disease, working diligently on, on, on medicine and solutions uh, for the human problems. And, and so we would be familiar with that. But let me just check, let, let me help you understand the difference between generosity and philanthropy, if I can do that, because there is a massive difference. Generosity is personal. You could even say generosity is emotional, meaning it, 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 there's empathy in generosity, but philanthropy doesn't need to be personal. Let me just try and give you some thoughts about the difference here because I believe there is a strong difference. Generosity sees opportunities and brings empathy. Philanthropy sees opportunities, but it doesn't always include empathy because philanthropy doesn't need to be personal. It can be, but it doesn't need to be. But generosity is always personal. Generosity can work with a little and much because God supplies. Philanthropy tends to only work where there's a lot. Generosity is, is who you are, so it affects everything you do with what you have. Generosity is who you are, so it affects everything that you do and everything that you have. Philanthropy is what you do, but it may not be who you really are. Generosity, anyone can be generous. But philanthropy, it's left for the few. Generosity is wise, but it has no strings attached and it has a pure motive or as pure as you can get. Philanthropy tends to have strings attached and can often have hidden motivations and agendas. And so I just want you to understand I am not anti-philanthropy. I'm just trying to let you know that generosity is for everyone, whether you have little or much. And yet philanthropy is for the few because it's those who have a lot. Thank God the billionaires and zillionaires and trillionaires and gazillionaires and whoever has, thank God that they have a desire. But what I'm trying to say is not about judging those who have a lot. It's about understanding the power of generosity. You are not dispowered. You are not out of this picture. You are actually included in this. And I think that is so encouraging. So let me give you a perspective on generosity. I believe generosity operates from what you have received, grace. Philanthropy tends to operate from what you have, how hard you have had to work, law. And I believe generosity is a lot more attracted to grace and, 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 and it actually doesn't judge. 
Shall I give this man who's sitting there with a cup saying, I'm hungry, shall I give him it? No, because if I give him it, he's going to treat it on drugs. If I was to use some of the examples, we would probably get a little <laughs> bit of a heated discussion up right now about, well, is it right? Is it wrong? The moral side? The mor- uh, at the end of the day, I don't know. It's everybody's choice to do what they want to do. If you want to do it, do it. If you don't. But what I'm saying is, is we've got to capture the spirit of Jesus towards generosity because generosity in our heart, generosity in your heart, a generation that believes the best, a generation that sees the best, a generation that gives the best can only be a generation generation that I believe tracks the heaven and the call of God and the promise of God. Our world needs it. People that speak generously. And I believe that's what we get through our person of Jesus. So number one, you have been treated generously, so live generously. First truth about generosity is that you have been treated generously, therefore you can live generously. Can anyone say amen? It's just a good word to say in church if you're not really into it, that's okay, but just say, that's cool. Matthew 10, Matthew 10, Jesus went to His 12 disciples and went out to the harvest hands. He called His disciples harvest hands and He gave them this charge. Don't begin traveling to some far off place to reach unbelievers and don't try to be dramatic by attacking some public enemy. Go to the lost, confuse people right in the neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick, raise the dead, touch the untouchables and kick out the demons. You have been treated generously, so live generously. Don't think you have to put on a fundraising campaign before you start. You don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment. Number two, the second truth about generosity is generosity can flow through you. Second Peter, first Peter chapter four, God has given each of us a gift from His great variety of spiritual gifts to serve one another, manage them well so that God's generosity can flow through you. So God's generosity can flow through you. Anybody want God's generosity to flow through you? He can use you even while He's working on you. Generosity, truth number three. Generosity comes from your, part, from your faith. Generosity comes from your faith. Philemon chapter five says this, or uh, verses five to seven, it says this, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith. As you understand and experience all the good things that we have in Christ, your love has given me much joy and comfort. My brother, for your hospitality has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. You'll always find hospitality hanging around generosity. You'll always find hospitality hanging around generosity. Amen? Spirit of hospitality is always a generous, generous hospitality. It's a generous spirit. Number four, generosity causes people to open up to God. Generosity causes people to open up to God. Matthew chapter five, Jesus says, let me tell you why you are here. You are here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, you will, how will people taste godliness? You'll lose your usefulness and you will end up in the garbage. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God. This generous Father in heaven. I believe generosity does open up 
so much, so much possibility. You can go to some parts of the world that are struggling to put water, clean water on the table or put food together or find pencils to do their story, uh, their, their education or books to write in or books to read from. And you can come in and say, well, my friend, God loves you. And they may appreciate that and maybe they don't. Maybe when they're struggling to actually survive, maybe God loves you. It doesn't really hit the mark. But if you turned up with pencils and crayons and books, you turned up with a engineers and you turned up with a surveyor and you turned up with a, a capacity to start a new water well that's going to bring clean, fresh water for generations to come and, and you switched it on and you trained up the local people to know how to get the fresh water out and to continue to pass it on, to bring crops in and to water the crops. And to, It's amazing how when you start to do a whole lot of practical things and then when the village starts to change or the region starts to change and the kids are starting to read and the, and the water is starting to help them and the food is starting to sustain them and things are starting a whole look better. Don't, tur- don't be worried about turning up and saying, hey, God loves you because they might just turn around and go, you know what, I'm beginning to wonder because the water is actually really clean and you know, these pencils are amazing and my daughter has learned something about the world and my son is now doing something he never thought he could do and we've got the best crops we've ever had. Oh, maybe God is starting to show some love to us. All I'm saying is, let's not just cheap go down and cheapen the love of God by just throwing it away like a a blanket. I believe God's love is incredible, but it's incredibly practical. We would never know about the Good Samaritan if he had just good intentions. We know about him because he poured in the oil and the wine. We know about him because he literally carried a broken man that was naked, that was speechless, that literally had no identification on its culture, no identification on the language he spoke. He was bloody, which meant he was in trouble. And the Bible says the Samaritan, the despised person, took this person at his own expense at his own cost, in his own risk to his own life and he put him on a donkey and he carried him to a better place. We would never have known about the Good Samaritan if he just had good intentions. He used his own personal resources for the well-being of humanity. And I love that the story says the man was naked because we don't know what culture he belonged to. I love that the man was speechless because we do not know what language he spoke. And I believe the Bible doesn't give us any other details apart from that he was bloody and he was broken, which basically points to you and me. We are the ones that need a Saviour. And he turned up and he poured in the oil and the wine and he used his resources to lift us and to carry us and to heal us. Don't tell me this Bible is rubbish. Maybe we've made mistakes in the application. I agree with you, but I'm telling you there's hope for all of us. There's wisdom for the generations and there is a perspective we desperately, desperately need. Look again, think again, begin to ask the right questions and to begin to dig and find out what is really going on. Because I believe we can be a lot more practical with our faith. I love what it says here. 
It says that generosity opens up people to God. Could our generosity be so practical that it could start to change the hard hearts of humanity? Maybe people could begin to once again say, wow, there really is a God. Wow, I wasn't sure. Wow, I was ready to give up. I was actually way past it. But your generosity has opened a door that I never thought could be opened. Could we be a church? Could we be a generation? Could we be real people with a real Saviour? Well, we've got to consider generosity. We've got to consider generosity, my friend. We've got to consider it because the Bible says that generosity can open it up because Jesus literally said, let me tell you why you're here, to be generous. Number five, generosity is full of grace. 2 Corinthians, you know the generous grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though He was rich, for your sakes He became poor so that by His poverty He could make you rich. I'm telling you now, we all benefit because of Jesus on the cross. He died so we could live. He was broken so we could be healed. This is our message. This is our story. And this is the good news and it's never going to dry, and it's never going to die out in Jesus' Name. Number six, generosity makes plans. Isaiah 32, generous people plan to do what is generous, and they stand firm in their generosity. Number seven, seventh truth of generosity, generous people sow and reap generosity. Second Corinthians chapter 9, remember this, a farmer who only who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but those who plant generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need. God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. I don't know about you, but I want to go in the direction of generosity. I want to let generosity, the generosity I have received, I want it to come into my life and I want it to come out of my life. The way you've been treated is the way we get to treat others. One of the greatest things that I believe Jesus said to our world that desperately still needs to hear it, treat others as you want them to treat you. If you want people to be generous to you, we need to be considering generosity towards others. Would you be safe to say that our world desperately needs this? If we don't need God because we can do this ourselves, then really is that God is very far? Because last time I looked, we really struggled to do this. I'm not even standing here saying, hey, I got this all worked out. Look at me, look at me. No, don't look at me. (laughs) I'm not your saviour, Jesus is. But I tell you where I get my strength from, by looking to Him. If He's been generous to us, could we just turn that into generosity to others? You can, because He did it. And He wouldn't ask her to do something that He doesn't believe we can do it, but you've got to know how to go to Him so you can go to others. So let God feed you before you feed anyone else. Let God heal you before you bring healing to anyone else. Let God be gracious to you before you can start to bring grace towards others. I'm not saying this is instant. I am saying this is a journey 
but this is a perspective that can make a massive difference. And I believe church can be a part of the positive solutions of our city. So Heart for the House is a way of saying, God, there's a generation that want to go to you, that want to look to you. And so let's consider, we have been treated generously, so let's live generously. Generosity can flow through you, through me, through us. Generosity comes from our faith. I pray that we will have faith and through faith in Christ, it will spill into generosity and practical generosity. Not announcement generosity, not good intentions generosity, but literally tangible solutions that literally lift people out of their poverty or out of their craziness. A generosity that causes people to open up to God. A generosity that is full of grace and mercy. A generosity that makes plans. And a generosity that is committing to sowing and reaping generosity in Jesus' name. Amen.